Okay, so we were just talking, John, about, about leadership, and um, I'd like to sort of get our audience in on this too. Uh, so tell me, you, you have a different style than Peter Shumlin, that would use one as a contrast. How, how would you describe the difference? I would say that I'm probably more laid back um, than, than Peter, and uh, in the sense that I, there there are issues when they come Can I up. Just stop oh, you? We're, yeah. we're back from an arraignment um, where a man who is charged with a burglary of a store, an opiate kind of connected burglary, so we're now back later. I'm sorry, go ahead. Leadership. And we got, he's held without bail. Right. Or I should say $50,000 bail. Anyway, um, the, the, uh, Peter was, is, is a very vibrant person. He's a very gregarious, um, which I consider myself uh, uh, very personal also. However, um, Peter would always have lots of press conferences and uh, he would um, uh, he would have things mapped out uh, to where his priorities mapped out and um, I think his uh, position was probably a little more political he, he he was a little more political in the in the position than, than I am uh, or I have been uh, I I'm somebody who believes in um, just let's get the job done. Um, identify the the problem. Identify the issues. Um, I then look to see who I think it was best to execute um, the uh, uh, the solution. And uh, I try to get uh, people to come together from both sides, all sides. And I, that's one other thing I think that um, I would consider a strength is that I am somebody who respects everyone's points of view um, in the Senate, regardless of their political affiliation. Uh, even though I'm a Democrat and I was the Democratic majority leader, um, now as the Senate president, um, I believe my obligation is to the entire Senate and, you know, and making sure that the job that they were sent here to do is done. And so um, I uh, always stress um, the fact that you know the compromise is something that brings us along and that we need to to uh, be aware of and if someone was not willing to compromise if they're uh, then the the likelihood of being successful in whatever bill or issue they're dealing with is is slim you have less power than the speaker um I would say, uh, yeah, I would say that the pro tem's position is a little is less powerful in the sense that um, you have uh, the in the Senate side you have the Senate uh, the uh, committee on committees which is the lieutenant governor the pro tem and the um, uh, third member of committee on committees which currently is uh, Dick Mazza. and um, whereas uh, in the speaker if the speaker decides that. Uh, somebody uh, he doesn't want someone to serve on a committee he just he can just unilaterally pull that person or unilaterally make some decisions um, the Senate has a different different method of operation and and I think quite frankly um, it is a is a, a better way to operate in the sense that you have three people who are making the decision and if one person has that power um, then that power, uh, I can easily see how that could be used, um, what I would say inappropriately. And I'm not talking about our current speaker, but I'm just looking through um, you know, different speakers throughout the country or in the past, and even some of the people we've had here in Vermont who uh, wielded a tremendous amount of power. And uh, when that kind of power generates fear, 
Um, and if somebody leads uh, out of fear, I, I don't consider that good leadership. I consider that to be um, just like the bully on the playground. And he may be successful for a while uh, until um, until uh, uh, some weakness is shown. But but you know we're you know this we're a society that puts a premium on people being tough and decisive and bold and you know executing people that don't follow what they want and getting rid of committee chairs and. I'm sure there are people that view you, um, that they view that as weakness. And, uh, you know, I, I guess people can uh, look at that uh, any way they want to, and that's fine. Um, I you know look, what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. But I, I think that all you got to do is look at um, what I have been able to achieve. Um, I look at the results. And it doesn't, I, I'm also somebody, I don't like to sit there and take credit for everything that's done in the Senate. You know, there's not every bill that comes out, I don't sit there and say, we got it, uh, I got that, I maneuvered it, I, I, I shepherded it through. Um, I don't need that. I don't need that, that uh, approval of me being some powerful person that should be feared. Um, I'm somebody who believes, as I was taught by my parents, and that... Um, you know, you, if you want to get something done, first of all, you got to be willing to do it yourself and never be afraid of asking for help. And more importantly, and most importantly, always recognize the people that helped you and that helped you get there. And I can tell you, no matter what has happened or what has come out of the, um, the Senate, there's not one person who controls that. There's not one person who can take sole credit for that. And, um, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm just too busy to uh, um, to worry about uh, credit or worry about what, uh, uh, you know, people feel um, about my power status. Let me ask you this. You know, there was a lot of discussion this year about after Shumlin decided he wasn't going to run, all these people, are they going to run? I, you know, I don't even really remember your name coming up. What's up with that? It didn't. It How did. come? I mean, um, you would naturally think the president of the Senate would be an automatic, obvious name to throw out there. Again, I think it goes back to the my leadership skills and also how I operate. I, I'm not somebody who um, runs around the state. I don't go to all of the newspapers to um, you know meeting with the editorial boards, which I probably should. But I, quite frankly, you know, um, when I'm doing a full time law practice, it's kind of tough to get the time. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of times that people uh, seek elected office uh, and seek leadership positions because they want to continue up the ladder. They want to achieve, they want to be, you know, the next governor or the next U.S. senator or new U.S. congressman, um, and which, quite frankly, would be great. Uh, I think any of those positions would be, it'd be a privilege to serve in them. But when you you have to do it for the right reason. You really have to want to be, not just want, but you have to know that you can make a difference in, in the lives of the people that you're going to represent in those positions. And you all, there's a, there are people, um, when you set out on a goal like this, that you have to um, uh, walk softly, uh, you have to recognize some people who might, whose egos need to be stroked, you have to um, you have to seek, ask people you've never met before for lots of money to help with your campaigns. I've never been comfortable with that. 
and I, I don't, um, I'm the, one of the first people who, who will give praise to you when you've done something right. But um, for me to, to just tell somebody that they're a great person and I don't even know them, and uh, to me it insults their intelligence as much as mine um, to where you, you have to play that game. Uh, I guess I'm not the best game player when it comes to politics. That's why I've always said this, and I believe it, is that I consider myself more of a public servant than I do a, po a politician. And uh, quite frankly, if I don't get elected, uh, or if I choose not to run this time, um, I'll look back at the, um, you know, was it 16 years, 14 years, or whatever, and say, you know, I, I can look myself in the mirror and say, you know, you did a good job, and you really helped some people. And I know that um, there are certain groups like the victims community. I, I've always been a huge supporter of them. Um, there's uh, a lot of the people in the uh, environmental community that I've always been there to fight for. Um, I've done things that, that um, someone might have guessed that or might have thought that I would never get near. Um, the marriage bill is a perfect example. Here is some you know, white uh, Catholic uh, heterosexual male who is pushing for the marriage bill. To me, that was one of the most important things that I've done in my lifetime is to um, support equal rights. It's, it's, it, I can't tell you um, the privilege that that you know, was bestowed on me to be able to, you know, to, to bring that out. Um, so those are the kind of things that I look back and say, you know, I, I'm happy. I can, I can live with, with this and, and know that I, I may not go down as uh, in the history books, in the Vermont history books, as, as being anything but a blip, as a you know, like uh, saying, yeah, pro tem from 19 or from 2000 whatever to 2016. Um, you know, I maybe I've learned it from my you know being with my kids. It's just that there's certain things that are important in life, and and uh, notoriety um, does not necessarily, to me, equate to. Um, to goodness and to um, you being a humanitarian, if you will. I, I hear you, but you know, it doesn't hurt a little bit to not sort of be included in that mix. Um, you know, I, it's it, it's it's you know, I can't say that you, you don't think about it. Say, well, how come I'm not you know mentioned there? But I um, I, I guess it would have it would have hurt if I had set out to do that. And if I had set myself up to be in that position, and let's say I did uh, mm -hmm. all the things I just mentioned about going around the state mm -hmm. and meeting with all the you know, wealthiest people in the state of Vermont, and um, um, you know being at the the parties and, and shaking hands and the right hands, um, I never did. I didn't do that. In fact, one time early on, um, I got into a major disagreement with one of the people that would be considered one of the more powerful people in the state. And um, I thought that it was asking me to um, vote something that my conscience cer certainly would not. And um, I mm. let that person know that and uh, never heard from that person again. And so, you know, again, I I, I just, I'm not the type to, to king, play those kingmaker games. sort? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think that- Chittenden uh, County? I don't know, Mark. Mm. You know, I like I said, it's you know, there's certain fights you you kind of keep uh, you mm -hmm. private, and uh, quite frankly, when once I, you know, that's something that happened a long time ago. It's in the past. Um, I don't have time to think about it, but 
But it is, you know, going back to what you're saying. So if I was somebody who tried to set myself up and tried to um, uh, angle for one of those higher positions and then was weren't, was not considered, then, yeah, I, I probably I would be disappointed then. But I'd be mm-hmm. disappointed in myself thinking that I didn't do the right things to get there. Mm-hmm. Um Quite honestly, you know, we have some 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 really good people, qualified people, who are um, seeking you know that the governor's office, and um, you know we have a tremendous uh, uh, delegation, uh, federal delegation, that certainly they're not going anywhere unless they choose not to run again. Um, I, I right now actually am more concerned. I what I am going around the state is, is talking to younger people to get more younger people involved and interested in politics. Okay, and um, I think that's what we need because there's a gentrification, if you will, of of, of um, the people in politics. And and you know I don't know if it's because it's uh, politics in general. When you look down at what's happening in Washington D.C., how can you help but not be disgusted? Um, to think about the the problems that that Americans are, are suffering from right now, whether it be financial, uh, emotional, um, uh, there's a long laundry list, and to think that uh, it's you have congressmen who will refuse to get into an elevator with one another if they're from another party, and um, I can tell you this from all the years of negotiation, and I've been a lawyer for I don't know 32 years and have been in a lot of negotiations, um, you don't do it by not talking to somebody. So um, so I think younger people, you know, I, I keep on trying to push and, and to uh, try to get involved, whether on a local level or, um, you know, in, even in, in my office. Like, you know, I've got Connor Kennedy there who, yep. and Erica Wolfing. Those are two under 30 uh, kids that, that are, are well-respected within the building. Who um, who have such incredible knowledge when it comes to policy, um, politics, and um, they have that burning desire to help people, which is like especially like with Connor. Connor deals with my you know constituent stuff, and and boy, I tell you, here's a kid who um, he won't stop at no. You know, if he's if someone says I can't get or that they can't get benefits or something's happened to them or they don't have their fuel oil. Um, whatever you know he's going to make sure that that happens and those people are taken care of so you know those are the kind of people that i that i want to see um move up the ladder and 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 achieve the those positions that that i think you hold that i hold um to be um very special when um you know you got the governor leaving you got the speaker leaving you got the lieutenant governor who's leaving uh what difference is that going to make I think if I am fortunate enough to get back, if I'm elected again, both um, you know here in Windsor County and then also as pro tem, I think that what what that does is is put the uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, I don't want to just say pressure, but it's uh, responsibility. Let's call it responsibility. I will have my office will have a tremendous amount of responsibility because of being the one there with more of the institutional knowledge. Um, you know how how you know what kind of um, uh, things are we doing to you know regarding the budget? Wh- which way do we want to go here? Um, and uh, the interaction with whomever is in the um, is in the governor's office in the administration. Uh, quite frankly, I know all the people that are running for governor, 
and I think that I get along with every one of them and could work easily with them. And so uh, I think the the fact so same thing when actually when when Shap came when I came in for the first time uh, as pro tem uh, when uh, Peter was elected uh, governor. Uh, I looked to Shap, who was speaker, and he had been speaker for I believe two sessions at that time. Um, that uh, I just sat back and listened and watched, and uh, he was a uh, he he is the type of person that was. Uh, great guy to work with in the sense that he was very open um, he did not uh, he shared uh, his knowledge um, his institutional knowledge and also knowledge of, of certain areas of that that I may not have been familiar with most of them in the revenue area so um, you know he, I, I that's what happens and you you there when there's a void you know someone's going to come in and you just hope that that person who comes in to fill that void is up to the up to the job and you know, quite honestly, and you know this, is that it, it is, um, while it sounds all appealing and you think that it's an easy task, um, it's really dealing with lots of different personalities. Um, you know, in the Senate we have 30 people and there's, uh, when, you know, when I first got in, there was a, uh, a freshman class that came in that were strong personalities and, and, um, and then you have the older people who were, you know, you know, pushing back, and you, you have people who um, I guess it's it's sort of like uh, everyone has to test you, and you have to test the to see where your strengths are, what, you know, how how they can push. And uh, you know, I've been fortunate because we had some great people, and 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 the people who were in that freshman class. Now we have one that's majority leader, doing a great job. One's a minority leader, doing a great job. And um, so you know, we um, you learn to work with people. And, you know, it's not uh, like a good old boys club like everyone thinks it is. It's something where, you know, in, in, um, in the Senate, I'm fortunate to have committee chairs who are incredibly intelligent, um, who have uh, great knowledge of, of government. You look at, you know, Jane Kitchell, you have um, a situation where she's been in government uh, in one fashion or another for the last, you know, 30 years or so. And um, then I had, you know, I, I fought very hard to get Tim Ash in. Um, that was one of my first battles uh, because Tim, um, who's now chairing the um, um, finance. Uh, finance committee, he was, um, you know, he, he was a Democratic progressive. And I think that there were, in fact, I don't think, but I know there were a lot of people uh, in the administration and other folks who may have thought that um, if... Tim was put in that position that uh, we would be um, taking a, a totally different view of tax policy and spending. Um, and I first had faith in Tim just from knowing him as a freshman when he came in as a freshman senator, but then um, sitting down and talking with him and looking at the vision that he has, uh, to me, uh, Tim is, um, is one of the bright stars in the Senate. And I really had a lot of faith and trust in him that he could do the job. And um, that battle went on for quite some time to get him that chairmanship. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it's one that I look back and think um, it was one of my best decisions. Hmm. All right, so you talked about the budget before. What do you really want to push for in the next four or five months? Um, the, the I think one of the biggest things, and let's talk about the budget for a second, is we look at human services um, uh the, the whole agency 
um, is one, it's too big. Um, you have a, uh, you have corrections in there, you have uh, all our social services, um, you have a multitude of silos on different, you know, in different uh, departments and different uh, uh, areas that, that control, um, I shouldn't say control, but require the vast majority of our budget. And I think that there are times when that, you know, um, uh, that agency is one which is kind of has their, like the big Pac-Man with the mouth open and everyone else is feeding it. Now, mm-hmm. not saying that that's wrong because of the fact if you look in to see what's in that agency, those are some of the largest spending areas. They have the Medicaid, they have um, uh, our benefits, uh, they have corrections, which we're spending an incredible amount of money on. Um, so there's a lot of responsi- responsibility there, but I just can't help but think that when you get an agency as large as it is, um, that it um, it's almost become conflated, you know, the different departments. And I can't help to think that if we looked at it, separated it, gave uh, space to some of these other uh, uh, the other um, departments, uh, that they may be able to um, to uh, not only uh, perform more efficiently, but be able to look at ways that um, they could see future savings. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, our financial situation is is not going to change overnight, and we're not going to see over the ne- in three years. There's no bright light there in three years that oh, we're going to get this extra revenue in Mm -hmm. from some source or we're not going to have this expense uh, so that we don't have to worry about our um, any of our our budgetary uh, problems. Uh, That's just not going to happen. Realistically, we are faced where in the last, I can't, uh, the last uh, 10 years where there's always been a consistent shortfall in the budget. And, you know, we're spending incredible amounts of money on Medicaid for our population. Now, one thing is good in that, and the fact that we are providing services to people that some states do not. Um, and I personally believe is that you have a person in need or somebody that is that needs medical attention or some social services, it's a responsibility of the state to make sure that those people don't fall through the cracks and cause problems either for themselves or, or for their families. So, but at the same time, we have to remember that 90-10 match is that it's not as easy by just saying you want to change the, the benefits. And quite honestly, I've also looked into what some of the drivers of some of those benefits and some people will say, well, they, ha- they get X, um, uh, X dollars for this every month and all we have to do is, is take that away or take some of the food stamps away or take... Uh, uh, the earned income credit away. But they don't realize if you do that, what's going to happen. The result is going to be uh, not even, uh, I won't call it devastating, but it's going to be, it'll be devastating for those people who lose the benefit. But it is not going to help the state of Vermont financially. And it will actually, I believe, in the, not only in the long run, but in the short run, I think it will affect us negatively on a financial, uh, it will financially impact us. All right, talk, talk about this agency of human services. I hear you saying that, that there might be some wisdom to break this up a bit. So what what's the benefit? Let's say you pull corrections out of the agency mm-hmm. of human services. It's its own whatever you create it to be. 
How is it going to be able to do anything better today than it can better in the future than it could do today? Uh, you know, I I believe that once we start looking into this, which we're our our government operations committee, that's one of the first things that I'm asking them to do. I believe that they're going to find out that there's a tremendous amount of um, bureaucracy. I don't want to say red tape, but I, you know, it, it gets used all way too often. And but there is that bureaucracy that um, once you start getting so big and you become a part of a, uh, in fact, let me give you this. Uh, I'll give you this analogy. It's kind of funny because I have my grandsons up now for Christmas, and they're great, but they're into the Transformers. And so you look at these transformers, they're these big, gigantic, you know, uh, machines. But they're a combination of like dozens of different little things. They can, you know, be one big thing together, or they can be broken up and have their own separate um, uh, entity or identity and, and do things. Uh, I believe that once you put so much together and and you can't identify. I mean, if I can't go in there as leader of the Senate or as a major legislator. And, and be able to point to one thing specifically in that agency um, without having to go through 10 different people to figure out to get an answer for me, then I see that uh, this is a problem. I believe that if we, um, if we separate out some of the major departments, like corrections, for instance, I think that we will be able to um, take a really a, a, a closer look at how the operations work, and not just within their own bailiwick, but how they interact with other areas of state government. How they interact with, uh, we are talking before about prosecution, about the court systems. Um, what is it there, are there some things that can be done better and more efficiently um, that will save us money? And I believe that we will find these things. Uh, is this it going to be so, the end but, of the... But, but, you know, I mean, you, you've been around long enough. I mean, people want to break things up, and then the next thing, they want to consolidate them to get efficiencies and savings. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you, I don't know, you can't, it's like you can't win. Right, and um, I guess you never, you never stop testing, okay? Um, let's, let's face it, there, you're, what you said is correct. I mean, there are times that, oh, yeah, we need to consolidate, like with schools. Right. Well, we think that that's a good idea to do it. But... Um, in a situation where in state government we have an agency that is basically taking up uh, you know a third of the budget, and um, you have uh, let's just take the software problem that, that we're facing with Medicaid. Um, that right now we are working on a software that quite frankly was I think based on DOS. I mean it goes back a long way. Wow. And to me that is it's working. But is it efficient? Probably not. Um, we have been uh, quoted for new software for the entire agency, which is in the $100 million range. And we have a federal match, but there is no question in my mind we need to do that. However, what it comes down to is, is you know, the one-time spending is one thing, but it's really the operational cost every year that you look at, which is gonna be at least 10%. It's anywhere from 10 to 15% usually. Uh, software, and you know these are um, the software we're talking about. It's not just like oh, getting new computers. We're talking about uh, a whole new operation system to where uh, we will be able to. Let's say if you're a, a social service recipient, we will be able to identify every service that you're entitled to, and then in the cases of people who fall off that cliff, 
we can say, wait a second, I'll tell you what, what we can do is we can keep, you know, claw back a little bit of one of your benefits and you'll still maintain there and you're not going to fall off that cliff. And then, as you know, that's, you know, those people who fall off that cliff, it is, um, you know, one day if you make $1 more than what you're supposed to, you lose your benefits for your children, for everything else. So that is just something that's not wise. So if we're able to um, to really take a hard look and and um, be able to operate like we should be in the 21st century, uh, rather than using an abacus, we're going to be using a real computer now. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to find um, a tremendous efficiency there. The second uh, thing, and this is another analogy I use, um, is that uh, it's like computers when and talking about software, is that every time you update something, uh, you go like 1.0 or 2.0 or whatever, uh, even though you might take out that underlying program, you don't take it all out. There's always still little bits of information that will always be there and that eventually um, they'll start clogging things up and that uh, you don't, they'll exist and you may not even remember that they exist, and you, but you just keep going like you usually do. I believe when you've got a, uh, an agency as big as this one, and it's been exactly what you said, consolidated time after time. It was you know, corrections one time, then, then another part of Medicaid or healthcare. Um, then we keep on throwing in new things. Every time we throw in, we come up with a new idea, a new program that has to do with social services, it's, it's thrown onto the big um, uh, automatron called uh, human services. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that there by breaking it up and, and to do it um, uh, to take it in and move it more into a uh, easily managed um, uh, manner then we will probably identify some significant areas of things that we may be doing that we never realized we were doing hmm. and I mean I I know that there's been times when we'll go through different um, commissions that we've created over the years. And also you realize, that when was the last time that commission you know, existed? Mm-hmm. And it was you know, 20 years ago that the last time they met. Or, and though that doesn't, um, you know, it's not big money there, you're still talking about where people every year have got to you know, monitor that commission and they still have to fill out paperwork and they still have to do all this stuff. That's manual work that we're paying our you know employees for. And, and I, I just think that uh, that is, again, a small scale, but I think that we're going to find um, that there's more efficiencies by having these uh, these parts of the agency, the departments, um, be more, um, uh, they'll, they'll be more effective in, on a, in a unilateral fashion. So, hmm. Two more questions. Um, pot legislation, I've read you're not terribly in favor of, and you and the speaker raised this question about driver impairment. And I guess one of the things I wonder about this People are driving smoking pot right now. Right. So if you legalize it, why is that an issue in legalization? I, I think, well, let's get, before we get to that, um, let's talk about the issue altogether. Um, it's it's funny that you, when you talk about the legalization of pot, I can't go into a store now, uh, my grocery store, uh, the guy who cuts the meat will come up, hey, John, you know, when's this going to happen? Now, this guy is like a 65, 70-year-old guy. When's this going to happen? Because I got an idea. I got this area that I can put like a shed where people can come and smoke their pot and um and you know laugh ago it's it's not really going to be as easy as that but people are really concerned and then they also think this is a major issue they think that 
we're going to be able to tax it and tax it very heavily, and that's going to solve all of our uh, financial problems. I mean, there are people right now, there are different uh, organizations that are already trying to set aside, saying any legislation we want to set aside, 15% of the proceeds uh, are going to go to our, our department or to higher education or to this or that. And, and so it, this is what it comes down to, is for us, for a state government, to think that it is all right to balance their budget by making a previously illegal substance legal, to me, is a sorry state of affairs. We should not be looking to balance our budget by making pot legal. We should be finding ways that we either operate within that belt that we have around our waist, or there should be more people, other people coming in who could do a better job. Uh, I think that also, you know, the timing that here we are, we just talked about it. We were just over court. The opiate problem that we're facing right now is hum it's huge. It, and it's something that is not just affecting um, you know, older uh, people in their 20s or, or whatever. These are high school kids, grade school kids are, are now starting to, to get into using opiates. I don't think pot is a gateway drug, but I sure think that it's a terrible message to send that we're legalizing a substance that is going to be an altering substance um, and we're legalizing it now, but you know, whatever you do, you know, don't go near that, that uh, heroin or don't go near um, cocaine or any of these other substances that alter your feelings. And, um, you know, again, we don't alcohol. We already have alcohol here. And um, sure, people go and take, you know, let's go have some a couple beers. Why do you take a couple beers? You ask most people, you know, it makes me relax. I'll, you know, feel better. That's fine. You know, that's a legal substance. Um, pot is the same thing. You know, you talk to people, and they, some of them say they, they take, they smoke uh, some weed to, to uh, so that they can relax or they can feel better or it makes them, it makes them um, enjoy life better, you know, more. And again, I don't care if people want to smoke pot on their own, that's fine. But for us to, as a state to say we're going to legalize it just so we can balance our budget, that's, again, I, I totally oppose. Now, with that said, um, realistically, I think it's going to happen. Um, I just want to make sure that there are those regulations in place that we're able to deal with it and that we've answered the questions that some people want to avoid. Um, and one of them is um, the driver impairment, for instance. So the, uh, the last thing we want to do is have any more people than we already have out on the road that are impaired. And with, whether it be from alcohol, uh, from drugs, uh, including pot, um, or quite frankly, even your cell phones. You know, we, we took care, tried to take care of that the other day, but uh, I mean, a couple of years ago. But the, the point is, is that by legalizing uh, pot, I think that there, you'll probably have a greater number of people who, who do actually smoke, um, smoke it. And there are probably going to be people who get behind the wheel of the car and don't think anything of it. And... Um, I, I think you're, you're going to see it's interesting that uh, Colorado did some testing on their transportation. Um, uh, I, I don't know if it was done through the National Transportation Board, but they did some testing about they had people um, uh, who had been smoking certain levels and they you know, measured their THC level in their blood. And um, the, the interesting uh, response was that they were able to drive in a straight line, but 
the one thing, and I guess what what happened, they were given they were given certain instructions. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're to follow this route, and you're going to get off at exit one, and you're going to take a left, and then you're going to see the Sunoco station. You're going to pull in. So almost every one of them flew past the um, the uh, first interstate where they're first most supposed to make their their turn. Uh, they did stay again in the in the right lane, but um, and they drove at the right speed, but there was still some uh, impairment, and. So I just say, why are we adding to that now when we're not able to uh, police it as we are with alcohol? So this is really the crux, is that with alcohol, we have a test, you know, Data Master or, right. you know, the alcohol yep. sensor. And so you're able to test the blood alcohol level within a body. We, have, as a state, have decided that 0.08 is the legal limit, and anything over that is you're considered to be impaired. Um, Right now, we don't have that. There's not the test unless you do a blood test um, and to, uh, to, to find out how much THC is in, in your blood. And even then, you, we're not sure exactly how that will affect on the impairment scale. Right. So we have drug, uh, mm-hmm. drug recognition es- experts through the Vermont State Police. And these are great guys and women, and they've taken uh, they're a lot of, they're trained, but we don't have a whole lot of them. Right. And so, but still, it's their opinion that they'll might, let's say I pull you over and you smoked a couple of dupes and, you know, you're, you're, um, uh, I consider you impaired. So I can go through, I can look at your eyes, I can do all the tests and I say you're impaired. Now, um, the problem, and even then if we take um, some blood, if you volunteer to, to give your blood, we have to take that blood and we have to send it off to a chemist out of state because we do not have the chemist within the state mm. uh, to be able to um, uh, um, do those tests. So if we write the um, uh, a ticket for driving in while well impaired based on drugs, uh, then that chemist who is in Maryland or wherever, then we have to bring that chemist back here to testify. And by the time everything's said and done, you're looking anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars. And I can tell you right now that most state's attorneys are not going to prosecute. When they know that they have to spend five to ten thousand dollars on a on a drug compare or a drug driver um, case, uh, so those issues aren't taken care of. There's other issues. Um, actually, there's an agriculture issue, agricultural issue that is uh, of a concern, and I don't, I haven't heard it yet from from many people publicly, but um, you know, in we passed several years ago a bill that legalized growing hemp. Right. Which I think was great. I was one of the people, Hull Maynard, if you, you recall Hull, from, yep. it was, he was always for that, and we finally got it passed. And um, I think it's doing a great job. But the fact is that if you want to screw up uh, a pot field or vice versa or a hemp field, um, you get cross-pollinization with those things, and you're going to have a serious problem. And I'm not sure if anybody's really... I've talked ne- about I've that. Never, I've never heard. I've never yeah. heard that problem. You know, well, I consider consider hmm. it one because of the growing hemp groups that we have here in, in the state. I think it's um, it's it's a concern. Is there that kind of seed drift that people yeah, talk about with yeah. Monsanto? That's what I'm really? told. Really? That's what I'm told. Yeah. yeah, and then but then the other the other thing is like banking. You know, right now you can't put um, your well, most banks. In fact, I would assume that almost there will probably be no federally insured bank that will take the money from the proceeds. Uh, because of the fact that they are federally insured and this is still would be still illegal on a federal level. Um, those are just a small, small... Um, uh, they must have figured a way around that in Colorado. 
Um, they they have. I think they've you know like they've done some through credit unions. Uh, they're mm. they've done a few things, but still not. Um, and then the other thing too is everyone thinks it's going to get rid of the black market. I don't. I'm not so sure it's going to do that because if you know the same the same people who expect to cure our budget problems, who expect to high taxes on that, if you go and you want to buy an ounce from one of the supplier store, the state supplied stores, uh, and you're paying five hundred dollars an ounce, and your buddy who's been growing it forever and a day and, and has some really good stuff. Good quality, and he's only going to charge you three hundred dollars an ounce. You're going to go buy it from them, and uh, so. But again, again, let's get back to the actual uh, reality. And um, I personally just do not think it's a good idea. However, uh, I and I've said this to Jeanette White and to Dick Sears and to the governor is that I would not do anything procedurally to try to stop it. If Vermonters or you know through their representatives feel that this is a good idea for them uh, to do, then okay, do it. But I'm going to make sure that all of the issues that I at least I can find that I think should be identified and should be brought to the public's attention are brought out. And um, I, I think that if it is uh, legalized and if there is any revenue uh, uh, obtained we are going to have uh, to put it back into resources into the judiciary. Uh, we should put it into rehab, uh, into the drug problems that we're having now, and uh, which uh, in a way is it's kind of offensive, you know, in the sense that we're, mm -hmm. we're using drug money to pay for drug rehabilitation. And, you know, I, I guess I look back and say, I just wish that back in the 1920s or 30s when you know, during the prohibition or twenties when during prohibition, and when um, uh, I think the alcohol lobby uh, pretty much convinced the federal government to, hey, this is could be a problem for us financially. So you guys make it a you know a narcotic, a, um, and they put it to the point where um, it was going to be untouchable for the longest time. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's lots of mind altering things out there, and. I just say, uh, you know, someone's in the middle of is in their home if they wanted to drink beer, have a drink, or smoke a joint or whatever. It's not going to bother me, and I have no objection to that. But when you're doing it on the street, or when you're, um, it's become uh, a social, um, the social thing to do, and you get more kids who, whether it be smoking cigarettes or they're now smoking joints even though it would still probably be illegal for anyone under 18. Um, uh, I think you would have to be, uh, uh, you know, have to be kidding yourself to think that that's not, you know, that underage smoking pot is not going to increase if we legalize it. So um, I just think right now we have enough problems on our hand and we should be dealing with the problems that are facing us and facing our communities before we go and add uh, the potential for additional problems. How worried are you about the lack of snow? Um, how, how worried should I'm, we all be? I, I, I'm really serious. concerned. I'm really, no, I, I'm, this is not a joke, and I, I am very concerned. Um, I can only, I, I've reached out to a couple of the uh, folks on you know, a couple of the mountains, and um, they are just really hurting. Um, this is something, uh, snow to, to Vermont is, um, it's iconic, and it's, it's something that is uh, one of the biggest attractions I think we have. 
And if we have lack of snow uh, and the people from out of state, they don't want to come over skiing uh, or they have a bad experience. Like I had some people rented a house next to me and they brought their whole family up thinking they were all going to go skiing. And they said, we're not going to be coming here again. We want to make sure we go where there's snow. And even though you try to tell them it's an anomaly, at least you hope it is, um, it, it, these are, this is affecting real Vermonters, uh, you know, people who, you know, snow plow drivers. Uh, I know the guy who plowed my driveway yesterday. He, he was, he goes, God, I mean, I was literally, I was in, he, he went to Mass on Christmas and he's, he, he said, I hate to say this, but I'm sitting there, dear God, please let it snow. And, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so I, I just think that we, this is a serious issue. Um, and I'm just hoping that this is just more of an El Nino effect and that might be causing this rather than the change in climate. But I can't help as a one person who really believes that there is climate change. And, um, you know, I'll, I guess, in fact, let me, let me back up on that. Because it, it really, I've had this discussion with several people who, who um, don't believe that there's, you know, they always want to refer to it as global warming. And I said, well, first of all, I don't think it's, you know, I won't use the term global warming. I think it's climate change. And I, I can't imagine why anybody who could not look around what's happening around this globe, this world, and see the changes that we're having, forget who's causing it. Let's just for a moment say, I don't care if it's natural or if it was man-made. We have a problem, folks. We have a serious problem. There are people who are losing their lives. They're losing their houses. Um, there uh, and and there is something major going on, and I can't also help but think that this is almost like one of those um, uh, uh, movies, like uh, San Andreas Fault, where you know the, you, you're watching the movie, and there's all these news reports of well, this is, you know the, uh, the the snow has stopped falling in Vermont, and you know going on and on, and you know this has been two years now since snow has fallen in Colorado, and so they go through all this, and then eventually people go, oh, we've got a problem. Well, you know what, folks, we got a problem. We have to, you know, if we haven't already wake, woken up, um, then, you know, I'm, I think you're seeing a little bit of what you're going to see in the future. So, but I, I also think that there's time to, to make a, a drastic change in, in, um, in our climate and what we're doing as a, as a world population. Um, I wish there was more of an accord, if you will, uh, throughout the world, throughout the world leaders. I mean, I, I, it was to me a little disheartening when um, we read about the treaties being signed and that um, instead of uh, using the word shall, uh, using the word should. And I can tell you as an attorney, that is a huge difference. And I know that there are political ramifications and whatever, but if we're going to, um, if we believe that man is a major part of the pollution and what's happening, and I do believe that that's the case personally, then I believe um, we cannot be um, uh, soft or peddling this softly. We have to be, I think, going after it in a much stronger fashion than we are. So, You mentioned that if you were to run again, that because you've been around longer, you would have more experience. But tell me, what difference is it going to make having basically three lame ducks and you this next five months, how will that how will that change the dynamic? Well, you know, knowing who the lame ducks are, um, I I have full confidence that we're going to work just like we did before. 
Um, Shapsmith is one of the will go down as probably one of the you know better speakers um, that the that the house has had. Um, he has a lot of uh, I think he's led with uh, integrity. Uh, he's gotten a lot of things done, hard things done. Um, I think that um, that he is not the type of person to rest on his laurels. I think he will continue to represent not only his home constituency, but the rest of the state with as much vigor as he has uh, and, and intensity. And uh, same thing goes for Phil, Phil Scott. I mean, Phil, you know, Phil's one of those guys who, you know, has you know, done things, but doesn't also, a lot of people don't know about it um, because he not, he's not somebody who, who seeks that, that limelight. And so, but I do know that, that he is going to um, fill that position. And he and I have already spoken about the fact that you know him running for governor and being lieutenant governor, and we also have, you know, a person in the Senate, at least one right now, that's that has announced for lieutenant governor, and that be Dave Zuckerman. Um, the one thing I have said to him, and actually I said it to Shap before he had to um, withdraw, was that I will not, and this is the one firm stand. You talk about, you know, being someone like myself might be in the background a lot. I'm not going to be in the background when it comes to somebody using the legislature for political gain. And so I've said that, um, you know, if uh, we'll go along and um, handle the legislature the way we have, and I would just ask that, uh, you know, the politics and the campaigning stay outside the building. And I, ha- I strongly believe that that's what will happen. I hope so. And if it doesn't, then we'll have other discussions. But knowing those those people i just think that we're going to be okay but if i'm you and i'm dealing with shab smith and i know he's leaving i might say i'm not gonna not gonna deal with this issue and i'll wait for him to leave you know um i i guess i'd rather have shab answer that question because he knows me fairly well also and i'm not that kind of guy i just that's that's oh, I, I can't. what's wrong with i was you? just gonna say something and i was but i, was, I can't say it because it'll be bleeped out but uh, it begins with B, and and, uh, and mm-hmm. anyway, no, I'm just not that type of guy. It's it that's uh, you know you play by the rules, you play fair, you play, you do what's right for Vermont. You know, if if you're doing it as a power play or something to to tweak somebody, then you don't belong there. You know, you just don't belong there, and I'm not going to fall to that 